Welcome to episode 624 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 624 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm very good, Bevan. Raising my voice. Oh, no. No, poor me. Yeah. Tell you what. You can't sleep. The last, the You're last, losing your voice. <laughs> the last two weeks. You're packing up your house. It's not been good for me, John. No. Because when I was in Germany, I didn't sleep that well. Yeah. And I've come home. And how long have we been home? Nearly a week. Yeah. I'm still not. I'm still waking up at 2.30 in the morning. I oh, made it's 5.20 this morning. Oh, I'm gutted. Just wake up. Yeah. Got up at four, 4 o'clock this morning, I must do some work. Blinder just says, right, why don't you just roll over and go back to sleep? You can't do that. Do you, you explain that to her. Next time you see her at the gym, you go, Blinder, it's not that simple. I will. I'll, I'll back you up on this one, mate, yes. because, you know, it's hard work being you and I. It is. Poor us. We have to go all the way to Germany, have this great fun time. <laughs> Poor us. I'm talking is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few Jumbo. Joel Sensei Bell, who's over in uh, Roach with us. He did a great race too, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Ross, give a little... Give a lot give, little. Give a lot little. Give a lot little. There you go. Vincent, the member. <laughs> Pack it up. That's wow. <laughs> Pack it, the member. <laughs> uh, in this week's show, team, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We got an interview with Aaron Baker. I sat down with Aaron Baker uh, in Epic Camp over in Rote, and it's quite a cool interview. She's looking forward to it. Yeah, she's a great interview, actually. And then we've also got a couple of the last two Epic Camp interviews that I didn't manage to get on the show before I put up before we left, so we're going to put those on there as well. We've got question, Wanger of the Week. Yep. We've got, question, we've got a website of the week as well. I've taken that out. Oh. Saving that for next week. I've done the show notes. Oh, well. Oh, okay, you see that in the out. show notes. We'll be talking okay, about it next week. It'll be there next week as well. And then we've got questions and answers at the end. Jombo. The and big hold on. One other thing. Uh, hopefully we'll have a Legends of Triathlon podcast out in the next week or so as well. Didn't you do Legends before we went away? No, I was planning to, but it didn't. No, I was hoping to, but it didn't pan out. A few connectivity issues. Oh, you've got a new jersey, mate. Um, no, I've got a new t-shirt underneath, a birthday t-shirt. Where was your birthday? Last Friday. How old? 42. 42. Well, what, did you get a t-shirt? Is that all you got for your birthday? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Feeling the love. Uh, the big piece, well, lots of, we've got a massive news this week, this week but Trenzo Bazzoni had a bike accident, pretty serious bike accident. Yep. <laughs> it's all, no, he, he got hit by a truck up in Auckland and it sounded pretty serious. We don't actually know how serious it is now, but he was in hospital. Um, I think he's still like in hospital. Got, no, he was only in hospital overnight. Are you sure? Yes. Didn't he have an operation? No. He was in hospital overnight, and it might be really bad, I'm not sure, but it's, uh, he got, certainly got concussed by the sound of it, and it sounds like he has to have some surgery on, uh, some facial surgery, I'm not sure how serious that is, so we'll just have to wait and see until maybe next week and find out how he's doing, but if it's not super duper serious, I think it's a blessing in disguise. If it's serious, bloody hell, it's not, not good at all, because we've seen, we're seeing all sorts of people getting knocked off their bikes, it seems like this is the year of... The female pros getting pregnant and having babies, and the males getting uh, lots of males getting knocked off their bikes with serious injuries. It was so pretty, pretty horrible. Hopefully, it was a hit and run bad. too. So the yes. guy hit him, yeah, and just left him there and did the runner. Yeah, it's shocking. But it does sound like they've busted him as well. Oh, did they get him today? Yeah, I don't know if they've busted him, but I think they've, I think they've caught him. So, Terenzo, we hope you're okay. Oh, that's it's just absolutely shocking. Um, yeah, 
heart and love goes out to Torenzo and hopefully we see him back out training pretty quickly and hopefully we see him as a contender in Kona later on this year. Jonbo, we had Ironman Frankfurt happening this weekend and looked like it was going to be a race against two of the champs of the game and one of the champs showed his dominance. Well, and you just mentioned Kona there and this is a massive warning shot for, uh, for people in Kona because this was dominations of Epic proportions. Well, domination on the male race, and but in the talk, female race, the females race, female races, it was even more than a domination of the dojo. It was unbelievable. A pant-pulling-down experience for all the other females. No disrespect to the other females. There's some quality females there, but Brett Sutton was, has been saying that this is the greatest female performance of all, of all time. Don't know if we'll go quite that far. but has got to be up there. Got to be up there. So what you need to know about Frankfurt when you're looking at the times is the bike course was five kilometres long. Kind of ironic that everybody's pumping, Ironman, everybody's pumping out this 5K long. Whenever a race is short, they don't mention that. Yeah. But uh, so the bike course was 185 kilometres because of roadworks. Uh, Got to give them the thumbs up though. Um, in terms of my Monday course accuracy checker, they were very accurate with their swim and run. The other thing to factor in here is it was a non-wetsuit swim for the pro athletes, which makes it even more impressive. Um, now... Uh, Mark Funkster Brooks said he got 26.19 miles on the run, so very accurate. And James Debenham said he got 42.1. So yep. when you're within 100 metres, you go yep. thumbs up. Yep. And he got the swim at 3,861 metres uh, and did record the bike at 185 k's. Daniela Reef just decimated this field. What about that bike? She rode 440.55. 12 minutes behind Frodo. Yeah. That is, that is unbelievable. And she was riding, I, I watched a little bit of the coverage. She was crunching this big gear. I don't know what bloody cadence she was doing, but it was pretty low. But swam 53.11. The important thing there is she came out with Sarah True, who's an ITU girl. So she's lifted her game on the swim. Just annihilated the field on the bike, 440.55, for 185 case. So if that was um, you know, 180, then you probably take off about eight minutes or something like that so she's down to sort of the 4.30 range yep. and then uh, I mean guys that, not that long ago guys weren't riding 4.30s uh, and then ran a 2.58.53 on an accurate course that's impressive yeah that's, that's a great race Whether or not the question is how much you 5k's what do you reckon it adds well you think you know she's going ballpark 40 kilometres an hour so it's about one and a half minutes per per case so about seven to eight maybe nine minutes so yeah down towards 4.30 for the bike and you've got to consider it was a, it was a non-wetsuit swim so maybe you take 10 minutes off that 4.28 uh, on a, on, and that's when it's an accurate course so it's getting up there really getting up there it, it, it is pretty impressive mm. jeepers creepers like right off that racing corner something seriously has to go wrong doesn't it major major wrong yeah. when you consider that in third place at this race was Sarah Crowley uh, who was on the podium I think last year in Kona and, and was one of the dominant players also had other strong girls there uh, she won by 27 minutes at a championship race mm. um, so yeah that's that's serious Sarah True was in second place on Ironman debut uh, the other thing is Daniela Reef set a course record when the bike kilometres five kilometres long. Wow. <laughs> so that's impressive. Sarah True was second place on Ironman debut. Now, I was asking questions about how strong she'd be on the bike. And, I mean, she 
got annihilated by Daniela Reef, but only lost you know five minutes or so to the likes of Sarah Crowley, so not too bad, but ran a 2.54 on debut. So nice. again, that's another warning shot for, for Kona, for those racing for second place in Kona. She could be a, a contender because she will be there after the swim. Depends how much time she loses on the bike. Sarah Crowley in third place in 9.11. Anne Haug, she had some mechanicals on the on the bike. I'm not sure if it was a puncher. I just saw her on the side of the road. Um, but I thought she'd come home with a really, really fast run. She's been running some electric fast um, half marathons, but she only managed a 3.04. And, uh, yeah, just got to make sure that she gets enough points for Kona. So, so I think it is worth having a discussion of the best top, like maybe let's say the top five Ironman performances for both female and men of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it is a good discussion to have. Mm-hmm. You've you, you got to think Chrissy obviously wrote. Mm-hmm. Maybe Chrissy's winning Kona. One, yeah, one of. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the only thing you would say, that you'd say that's definitely the best bike of all time. Well, I haven't got anything to, to go by off that, but I'd say it's it's right up there. You, when, when you compare it against the males, you know, it might not necessarily be as fast as what we've seen at Rote and other places, but when you consider she only rode, yeah, as you said, 12 minutes slower than um, Jan Fredino, that's, uh, that's insane. That's insane. But, you know, we've seen much better runs than what she ran. And, you know, like, is it is it the best complete performance? But I do think it's maybe a discussion we should have over a period of time to kind of sit down and go, okay, what have been the top 10 female performances of all mm-hmm. time? What have been the top male 10, you know, performances of all time as well? It's interesting as we look to Kona as well because it is a bit of a boring game for the female race it because it's, it's really a race for second. Oh, totally. Unless something goes wrong. But mm. even then, mm. you know, it was like when Chrissy had the, you know, remember Chrissy had the, the puncture? Yep, and, and she'd had the crash before the race. Um, so, you know, thinking last year, Daniela Reef won, and it sounded like she was really struggling last year with back injuries and mm. what have you, and she still won. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, but then we, then we look at the men's race. So I think this year could almost be the strongest men field of all time. It certainly was very exciting until this week, but I think Jan Fredino is going to annihilate everybody. So I watched a tiny bit of the coverage. A lot of you listeners will have watched a lot more than than, than I, um, but I was just watching it on the bike and just watching him riding along and thinking, I reckon he's just sitting there and you're going to wait for a running race. And, and post-race, that's actually what he said he was doing. He just wanted to have a, have a running race and didn't really get it. So Jan Fredino ended up winning very comfortably, uh, swam 48, rode 4.28 and ran a 2.39 to win by just about eight minutes over Patrick Nelson. And Patrick Langer did not bring his Kona run performance to the party. He only rode a two, ran a 2 47 uh, compared to he ran what 239 last year in Kona in much much more difficult conditions so you need to assume he's either not in the same shape as Kona or the bike maybe took more out of him because he was riding with Jan Fredino and Patrick Nielsen so um, yeah you've got to think Patrick Langer will probably lift for Kona um, but geez I can't see anybody beating Jan Fredino he looks like a man on a mission this year every race that he's done he's just decimated people he Killed Lionel Sanders at Oceanside 70.3. What was the other race that he did somewhere? Wherever it was. Taiwan? No, no, he didn't do it. He he did do a race over there, but that wasn't, uh, didn't really count. Um, But yeah, he is going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think he can run so much quicker than that uh, on on the right conditions and when he's feeling good. So he's got no weakness. He's just, he's going to be there after the swim. As long as he doesn't have any issues on the bike, can't see anybody really riding away from him. And then... He's just going to kill it on the run. The guy is going to, I think he's going to axe everybody. Oh, so it's you're, good you're, conditions. You're, you're saying that you're writing it off right now. 
Yeah, I'm, yeah I am. Yep. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Newsom's put it out there. Yeah. So fourth place, fourth place with Nick Castellane. Josh Amberger, who was the early leader, uh, was in fifth place. The other note of, on the day was um, Andy Bucherer. He, you know, he's a really strong contender. Uh, he DNF'd and he's got just about no points. So probably not going to make it to Kona for I think the second year in a row. I wonder what Patrick Langer, you know, because he didn't have a good run. And they got off the bike together. It would have been awesome if they had a run together, eh? I think that's what Frodo wanted. He wanted to, to go Test head to him. head and then crush him. Yeah. Uh, whereas it just ended up being a bit of a non-contest. We're interested to see what his thoughts were. Just not just not a good day for him, or yeah, yeah. So, so but great racing. Mm. Yeah, very good. I mean, this world. I mean, the world champ is going to be absolutely fantastic. Anything else about that race, John? No, that's about it. Um, the weekend before, same day. Controversy. Controversy that has really not been uh, covered very much at all. Try 247, good old John Levinson's doing his job. Yes. Because basically what happened at Ironman Austria was, they had the results, and we'll talk about those in a second, but the lady who got fourth, who was... Susie Cheatham. Susie Cheatham, basically put a statement out and also put a, basically a protest saying... So Susie Cheatham was not cheating. Yeah. <laughs> We're here all week. Um, <laughs> Susie Cheatham, she put a protest and said, look... The athletes in front of me got a massive advantage by motor drafting or motor pacing. Um, and they she pre- presented video and photo evidence. And this is one of the things with the new Facebook coverage. It can, can be pretty damning if they, you know, yeah. in terms of going, you are cheating. If they'd done that in Texas, it would have been, God, it been not interesting. Not cheating. No, <laughs> she's not cheating. Um, so... She put in a protest. Put in a protest. And they came back and they said, yep, fair enough. Five minutes plus for everyone for four place back. Conveniently, it didn't really affect the podium. So just to repeat what Bevan said. So what they did, they put in a protest and then they added five minutes onto first, second and third's place saying, yes, they were drafting. Um, they added five minutes, but no, it didn't no, really no. change the results. No, no, they added it from fourth foot back. No, they didn't. Advance all pro athletes by four minutes from fourth place. Yeah, so they, did they take, well, either either they took five minutes off their time. No, they, I'm sure they added five Advanced minutes Advanced all pro athletes by five minutes from fourth place. Okay, so fourth, fifth, and sixth got five minutes taken off their times then. Same result. You, yeah, you yeah, 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 was, yeah. But this is weird. I've never heard of anything like this before. Uh, especially, A, it doesn't mean anything because it doesn't change your results. But how do you arbitrarily go, uh, let's put five minutes on them? It's like, that's not in the rules. It's well, just and that's what John Levinson, he's done a very, very good piece on Try 247. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he kind of breaks down a few key points. He kind of says, firstly, it would appear that the case for an appeal has been granted for a drafting allegation. The IMN 2008 competition rules, section 3.06, seems to be pretty clear that stating that no person may file a protest which requires a judgment call, specifically referencing alleged drafting violations. Number two, in case, if that is the case, on what basis is the process being assessed? I.e., do the rules allow, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, the consideration of video photographic evidence? Um, B, in relation to a judgment call that it's, that's, um, uh, that's not trying to be pedantic. 
then number three, given that the protest appeal has been upheld, is this in relationship to the draft allegations to motor pacing or both? Uh, that seemed to be a very important point. Number four, the result of the protest is a five-minute time deduction gain for all of the non-podium female pro athletes. On what basis and where did the five minutes come from? Number five, race rules don't allow a retrospective penalty, but apparently are going to allow for a retrospective bonus time deduction. Number six, the impact of the five-minute change makes absolutely no difference to the position or prize money. Some might suggest that it's very convenient in this instance, uh, and most importantly, perhaps this is number seven. This sets a dangerous precedent. Uh, what is to stop athletes making similar and perhaps equally compelling video evidence claims and appeals in the future races, citing the Cheatham Susie rule? How will their times be adjusted? What happens if, when that results positions and positions and prize money changes? One might reasonably suggest that having a personal videographer on the course to capture evidence. Maybe a prudent move. Yeah, so imagine, you know, we're in Kona and not that you can go out on the bike course in Kona, but if they have a vid- if they have somebody, you know, doing well, Facebook filmed. live coverage and then after the race you go, That person was drafting. Okay, we'll give them a five minute penalty. It's just a very weird situation. I'm surprised um, other people haven't picked up on it other than John Leverson. So good work, John. Motor pacing, you see some of the old ones. I remember seeing one of the, the Kona winner ones from the early 80s. And they literally got a hatchback <laughs> with, the, with the lid of it lifted up behind it. Yeah. All the phone crew, literally like a metre in front of the cyclist. Yeah. Some of the old days, they were motor pacing. There's time. a lot of claims from athletes uh, at a variety of different races that the leaders do get an unfair advantage. You know, there's, I'm not going to name and shame particular races, but, you know, I've heard a lot of pros say at different races, the leaders do get an unfair advantage. Advantage. So, yeah, it's just it's a what, weird one. What, what distance should it be? Well, there's, there's there's distances in the rules. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's distances how far you need to be behind a, 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 a vehicle. But if you're riding, it's not really your responsibility to no. be behind it. It's the vehicle to make sure that they're they're not that close. So. Yeah. It does ruin a race, but if you're behind a motorcap cycle, mm. it's the ultimate drafting, isn't it? Even on the run, you know, again, I heard instances of, um, you know, running into a, a headwind when you've got the lead cyclist maybe only a couple of metres in front of you, that's giving you a, an unfair advantage. So, yeah, tidy uh, up I, I think one. John's point really is, it does set a dangerous precedent, because what does this mean for the future? They've done it now. Mm. So in the future... And as you say, we live in a time where the evidence is pretty easy to gather. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a really interesting insight. Okay, so what happened at the race? To the results, Michael Weiss took it out in 8.04.46. Ivan Tutkin took out second place in 8.13, came home with a two-hour 40 marathon. So he has got to be one of the very fastest runners of the sport right now because he also had that fantastic run at Ironman Texas where he had a very close uh, second place. Andy Potts was third in 8.14.25. David McNamee, who was the third place in Kona last yeah. year, I think from memory, uh, struggled home but validated at an 8.55.27, blew up on the run, but you know, because it was a good Kona result, just needed to validate uh, and just get a few points and uh, should be should be good to go. On the girl, on the female side of things, uh, Maureen Half did 9 hours and 32 seconds, Lisa Lisa. Huth Haler um, was second, 9.01, so close racing, and then 9.03 was Emma Pallant from Great Britain. John, this weekend we've got coming up, uh, one of the key races is the ITU Long Course World Championship race. 
um, and it's going to be held in uh, uh, Sweden, is it? Uh, Denmark, Denmark and right, Flynn. Yeah. So all this action over there is it's like they had in Canada last year in Penticton. It's a festival of multi-sport. They have the, had the duathlon, I think it was yesterday. They have the cross triathlon, which is the um, ITU's Xterra version. And then at the weekend they'll have the long distance race. Got to say, it's you know it's basically a fairly weak 70.3 type field. It, whilst it's called a world championship, you have got a couple of good guys in there. You've got Cyril Vino uh, and Rudy Wild. But yeah, you'd basically say it's, you know, on paper like a 70.3 field. On the female side, uh, that has actually got quite a good field and could be could be quite interesting because you've got all the local Denmark athletes. You've got Camilla Peterson, Hallie Fredrickson and uh, Michelle Vesterby. So racing on home turf uh, could be a good fight. You've also got Annabelle Luxford and Barbara Rivera. So I would say that one on the female side is a good strong field but still you know, nothing on par with like the the seventy point three World Championships. We had the duathlon championships on yesterday, and the results there. Interestingly, John, just before you go to the results, uh, note that Adam Belden, uh, who was fourth, and Morgan Davies, who was initially seventh, were disqualified post race for not serving an on course penalty incurred, never having spotted their number on the board at the penalty box. Yeah, so what they do in ITU, if you haven't really watched much before, is they do they have a big penalty board there, and uh, so infractions are, are usually. Um, they don't stop you in the races. They so. don't stop you yeah. in the race, and it's your responsibility to know that you've got the penalty. Yep. So they, they would often often be for not racking your bike correctly, for not putting your gear into your gearbox. And normally it's like a 10-second penalty. Or something, it is. Isn't it's it? just yeah. a stop-go stop penalty, um, but they didn't take it, so they DQ'd. Andreas Schilling, who is a regular on the ITU circuit, took it out by one second in front of Johan LeBeer, and Mark Buckingham was third from Great Britain. On the female side, Sandrina Isles from Austria, took it out by 10 seconds from AU Ada, who's again another ITU regular, and Georgina Schweining from Great Britain in third place. Okay, well, this weekend we've also got coming up is Ironman UK, which is one of the big events in the UK triathlon calendar. And um, we'll be interested to see if Joe Skipper turns up. Yeah, I, I doubt, you got to think, you're doubtful. I did see a, a quick Facebook post that he was racing Olympic distance uh, at the weekend and he led out of the swim and oh. somewhere in Norwich and nice he was quite stoked. Uh, so at this stage of the season, there's so many asterisks against people's names in terms of start lists. You don't know who the hell is going to rock up. But Will Clark, I did see, is uh, excited to be racing. I think he was doing a 70.3 one or two weeks ago. I think maybe Edinburgh it was. Um, but he's ranked number first equal with uh, Joe Skipper if he turns up. Mark Duelson from Germany is also uh, highly ranked but yeah in terms of overall really hard to tell who's going to be um, who's going to be on the start line. Do see a couple of our interviewees from Rote, Fraser Cartmel. We had an email from him this morning actually. Uh, he ended, we interviewed him post-race and he ended up going to the medical tent and uh, vomiting everywhere and got a couple of drips. Oh really? So, nice guy. Yeah. Jeez, he's one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. And likewise Brian McChrystal who we interviewed a yep. couple of times over there. He's also down there on the start list, so we'll see if those guys rock up. Your sort of things? Females, we've got Lucy Gossage, you think was is just going to crush it. Um, she's just been going great guns since she went back to work. Um, and then you've got Angela Neath, Nikki Bartlett, and a bunch of others. But again, who knows who's going to rock up. We've also got the Wilderman Off-Road Triathlon. So where's this, John? I just... Grab this one off k226.com. A random one? And just a, a random one, but I thought this is very epic. It's an off-road mountain bike iron distance 
race. Oh, bugger that for it a joke. Is hardcore. And I'm telling you, looking at the little clip that they've got there, the run is no walk in the park. So the course records for this. Yeah, that's what I want to know. 16 hours 45 for the men. And for the females, uh, 22 hours and 21 minutes. Wow. So it's right in North America. I think it's in like North Dakota or something like that. Um, but it's called the Wilderman Off-Road Triathlon in Wahala, uh, North Dakota. It's pretty crazy. And I love down the bottom. It was quite funny. They've got, <laughs> please note, the Wild Man is not in any way affiliated with Ironman or Xterra. And they've got their little trademarks next to both those names. It is a triathlon, however, that covers roughly the same distance in each discipline as an Ironman trademark triathlon. <laughs> as mentioned, the Wilderman is harder, better, wilder, and a heck of a lot less expensive than Ironman trademark and Xterra trademark events. Here are some extra trademark symbols in case we miss them somewhere. <laughs> trademark, 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 trademark. So, it looks old school they only get a handful of people doing it each year um, but if you want an epic adventure it looks pretty cool and entry fees are around about 250 bucks okay so just some other news we mentioned trends earlier but also while we're over in wrote they have announced i mean wtc or wonder whatever it is nowadays have announced this year's hall of fame inductees and it's pretty cool because two of the good friends of the show are in it this year so we've got Aaron baker and scott molina Mm, and great. we've also got Ken Bags and Rocky Campbell. So do you know who those uh, are? Ken Bags we've had on Legends of Triathlons. He's an Australian uh, race director, really instrumental in setting up and, and growing Ironman Australia. Don't know the other fella. So Rocky Campbell can be considered one of the foundational members of Ironman family as one of the original and longest running Iron Tenure World Championship volunteers for nearly 40 years, serving as a volunteer director for the, and for the last 33 years. Campbell first became an aid station volunteer before taking on roles with the swim course, construction and action management. Campbell joins fellow volunteer Bob Lair in the Ironman Hall of Fame. If it, weren't, if it, was, if it was not for their passion, belief in the dream and their willingness to give up themselves for others, Ironman and Ironman World Championship likely wouldn't be where it is today. So a good old-fashioned the person you're going to ring up, and he's going to say, yeah. I'm there to do it. Excellent. Yeah, so that's this year's inductees. So, And if you look at the list, it's a pretty cool list. We looked. In, so here, here, here's the list, John. 93 was Dave Scott, and 94 was Julie Moss. Um, Tyndall was 95. Newbie Fraser was 96. Mark Allen, 97. John and Julie Collins is 98. Uh, Valerie Silk. 99, 2000 was Tom Warren, Bob Laird was 2001, Bob Babbitt, 2002, John McLean, Gordon Handler, he was the first guy to do it, wasn't he? First yes. winner. Uh, Lynn Lemire was 2003, Greg Welch, 2004, Jim McLaren, 2005, The Hoyts, 2008, Mike Riley, oh, they didn't do it in 2019. Right. That's interesting. Mike Riley, 11, uh, Graham Fraser, 12, Peter Henning, 13, uh, George Hodge, Jiju, maybe. Uh, oh, I'm going to say mm, someone, Lorenz. I'm going to say I'm going to do the airport one on this one. Here we go, let's do this. Helga. Helga, Lorenz, uh, Stefan Pesching, and then Laurie Bowden, Heather Fuhrer in 15, Lou Freelander, uh, Peter Reed, Chrissy Wellington, Ken Baggins, and the series ones. So, the right people, aren't they? Yeah, they're doing a good job. Chrissy Wellington got hers pretty quickly. She did. 
Hey, mm. before you're in Baker, mm. pack it up. Um, also, John, uh, while we're away, Tim Don did a race, comes back, great story. 70.3 Costa Rica and took it out. So if you haven't seen, I haven't watched it yet actually, uh, there's a documentary on YouTube, um, I think it's called Halo Man, which is sort of about Tim Don's return to racing, uh, or no, return from his accident. And interestingly, we just had a couple of people around for a drink on... Uh, the weekend and they said they mentioned oh yeah I watched this Halo Man documentary so it's good cool. they're, they're mountain bikers um, so they're kind of in the not really in the triathlon world but the fact that it's reaching out to non-triathletes is good and uh, yeah pretty remarkable that it was only last October that A he had his accident and B his recovery was you know it oh, was serious so uh, good on him whether or not he can be a contender he obviously won't be getting to Kona this year unless I don't know if they've still got that um, clause in there where they they could do exemptions. Do you know what? I reckon he'll get one. Because mm. you know why? That's getting Great in the story. Iron Man story. Yeah. And and fair enough. It's the best story of the year. Mm. You know, what he went through and, you know, I don't know if you did. I, I, I hadn't watched the Halo Man, but I've seen a few interviews. Man, that was a journey. Mm. You know, and if he goes back to Kona this year, by all means, he deserves to be there. Great yeah. story. Yeah. John, we've got the ITU... World Series calendar for this year. Doesn't next year, coming up. So uh, they've announced where, where the, the tour is going It only likes the top year. half of the world. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's, that is the one difference this year compared to, no, next year compared to this year. There's no Gold Coast. So pretty much other than that, I think it basically stays the same. You've got Abu Dhabi, Bermuda, Yokohama, Leeds, Montreal, Hamburg, Edmonton, and then the grand, grand finale next year is in Lausanne in Switzerland. Why couldn't they more races? Uh, so many races. They, they don't need that. They don't need more than that. And they've got the whole. You got to remember they've got the whole second tier series. Uh, and if they start to do more races, I think it'll start to get diluted. The athletes do other events as well, so I don't think they need any any more than that. Um, one thing for you listeners though to listen uh, to to note is <laughs> Lausanne is a great course. You know, world champs. Some years they have awesome courses for the age groupers. Some years they're less awesome. So this year, for example, on the Gold Coast, unless they do something miraculous and build some hills on what is a, a flat dual carriageway highway, it is going to be a flat race. But that, that, that's you know, horse of courses if you like that sort of stuff. But that's what it's going to be like. Lausanne, on the other hand, is a really great course. You go through this old town. You've got a hill. It's multi-lap. Uh, it's a really cool course. And it is one week difference between Lausanne and 70.3 Worlds in oh, Nice. Wow. So if you want to do the double, they're relatively close together, very easy to, to get from one to Which the other. Which is first? Lausanne's first. You can go over yeah. there and you could do, maybe even do the sprint will be more than a week before before Nice. So you go over, do the, the World Champs, have a good workout, be part of a World Champs. And or just go and have fun at both of them. Yeah. You know? So I think that would, that would be a cool trip. Very that's, cool. That's a really good one, isn't it? Mm. Nice. Um, the other thing that we are talking about here, Jumbo, is that Challenger stumping up €100,000 for the Asia Pacific Championships happening in, is it Taiwan? Yes. So that's pretty impressive money. They're starting to crank up the money and trying to make money talk because 200 k in rote, uh, 100k in this race, uh, the Asia Pacific or Asia Championships. They also had, um, you know, really trying to stump up their championship race in Slovakia and getting, you know, getting Keenlay and Sanders and Lucy Charles, really trying to make, um, right, try to make money talk. And it's a half distance race, um, 20k for the winner. 
So be interesting. To see. It's November eighteenth, so it's kind of end of season. So some people may have um, called their jets post Kona, but you know, for those seventy point three or half Ironman specialists, um, good chance to earn some end of season coin. Okay. Also, one other thing, challenge announced. Well, they actually released it in wrote, but it was bad weather night, so I'm not it quite was. sure if they replayed it. So they have the documentary, which is We Are Triathletes, and it's a. I, don't, I haven't seen it yet, so I've, I don't know much about it. It's obviously the story around people doing triathlon around the challenge event, probably very similar to what we see with Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can now watch it on demand, or actually it comes out in er, early August, the 8th of August. It's coming, in, it's coming to cinemas, so that you get to see triathlon on the big screen. So it's going to be, and we've got a screening in Christchurch, uh, I think it's on August the 8th. But if you're in the States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand or UK, um, just go on to facebook or youtube or whatever just put in we are triathletes and you'll be able to find out if there is a screening near you and it's not very often that we get to see triathlon on the big screen so again i haven't seen it the, the promo trailer looks really cool are we like are we having a date night well i was i've, I've already bought my ticket oh back but, it up but uh i've actually just since realized that i'm not actually going to be here so i've had to try to on sell that but what if, if you're looking at this thinking yeah i might like to go the key thing is with the way that they set this up is they only get screened if you get enough people turning up. Yeah. So they put up, we need to have you know minimum of 50 people to, yep. to, to make this happen. So if you're going to go, get your tickets and uh, make it happen. And so basically, if you go to Demand Film, now basically, we'll have We Are Triathletes, but it will depend on which country you're in to see. So they have different URLs for different countries. So I've put a link on the show notes, but I've only done the US one. Right. But basically, go to Demand Film and then look up your country. And often the links will be basically your country code or an abbreviation of your country before the link. So for example, it's HTTPS dot slash slash NZ Demand Films dot films you know so on so the nz this thing so if you're in the us it's us or if you're in canada it's ca australia au or the uk is obviously uk so um check it out it'd be really cool to get a bunch of your people together it's a bit of a bit of a film night date night yeah date night uh also iron man are starting to change their coverage into facebook live and so we've been asking this for a long time and they're finally delivering. So we're having live coverages of multiple events. Uh, so I watched a teensy bit of the, the, the France coverage uh, while we were in Germany. Looked good, didn't watch heaps. Uh, then likewise they had the coverage of Frankfurt at the weekend. So it's a great step in the right direction. Um, the coverage seemed good. I like. Well, so you it. watch it on Facebook Live? Yeah. And and the interactive, it's quite good having having some interaction with the the you know with the viewers. Uh, I think we might have talked about this one and wrote and and the numbers of people that are watching. When I was watching Frankfurt at the weekend, you know, it tells you how many people are watching, and it got up to about four and a half thousand. I'm sure it probably got more than that uh, in the key stages of the race. But at those other events, you know, for example, when I was watching France, it was only at about fifteen hundred people watching. And that's so, why we've got to be fair to Ironman on this one. It, to put that much money down for four and a half thousand people mm. is not worth doing. Mm. You know, so they do have to keep their budgets pretty tight. Mm. You know, but for us who like it, it's good stuff, and and and, and I'm pretty sure that it's archived on their Facebook page. So again, if you want something to be watching while you're out on uh, on the trainer, then you've got a crap load of content to actually be watching. There is plenty. There is advertising and stuff in there, and and sort of their road to Kona stories, but you know. Good step, nice work on there. Okay, we've got um, what hell's going on? Not really so much, but the Monday course accuracy check. We've already talked about Frankfurt, but we had Ironman France happening, and it was a one seventy three bike. They did say this is going to be the case. Yes, yeah, so and apparently it's always been that way. I've wondered why France has always had 
consistently fast bike times considering how bloody hard it is. Now you know. Now we know. So Tim Van Rossum said it's 173k bike that he got, uh, 41.6k's on the run. Not really acceptable that the run's short on that one because it is just straight out and backs on the Promenade des Anglais. Uh, but bike course is listed as 173, so no claims of being 180. No issue with that. Stunning bike course and brilliant race. Joe Coombe also said the bike course is always the same, and I clocked it at 173 k's in 2011. Um, people, somebody commented on our Facebook page, what about Rote? Because we're always so positive about Challenge this, that and the other thing. Um, but Challenge Rote is uh, short, so the, the, in terms of the numbers that I was seeing off that race, you were looking in the 178 towards 179 kilometres on the bike, so a little bit short. It is a loop course, and so I give those types of courses a bit of sympathy, um, because if you just want to ride 400 metres down another road and back, kind of like, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. And it was, um, uh, so I kind of give loop courses a bit of a uh, bit of leeway, but on the run, it's again short. Uh, uh, this year they changed the run course and it was still short at between 41.6 and 41.8 kilometres long in terms of the files that I saw. So again, on that course, when it is, you know, you've got out and back stretches along the canal, not really in too much excuse for it to be short. Yeah, no, that's, so that's poor form. tack on that extra distance and challenge road and make the, the run. And I did notice that the run times were quicker this year, but it's consistently been around that distance about, you know, five to, you know, four to five to 600 metres short. And when it's that short, come on, you need to pick it up a little bit. I'm in Austria, don't have any stats on that yet, but traditionally it has short. been short. Um, this week's discussion, so we're going, actually going back a few weeks because we did this before we went to road. Basically it is... Uh, let me pull it up here. It's got, imagine a situation you completed a race and after the race you're standing next to somebody who saw you cheating at, You saw cheating out there on the course. This week's question is, what would you do? Richard29 is going, I would immediately go on social media and moan uh, about the organisers not doing anything to enforce the rules. I didn't actually think about this before, uh, before we'd actually done our discussion around uh, Austria and Susie Cheatham. So there's there's a solution for you. Yeah. Get video footage and actually lodge it, and you might get five minutes taken off your time. Yeah. Um, Pavel Chalisas said uh, GoPro, and then I went back to him and said, "Good comment. What are the rules on GoPro cameras in races?" And he said, uh, "Ironman prohibits it. Prohibits it. Other organisers are okay. We're talking about serial offenders. So in that case, I'll risk taking a camera with me in the bento box." Well, what about those guys who just have them on their bikes? Yeah, again, I don't know the rules on that. So it's according to Pavel, it's, uh, it sounds like it is prohibited. Okay, uh, Christine McKinley's got called them out. Yes, it may have not affected my race personally, but I feel a hell of a lot better. This is over-the-top PC world we live in. This over-the-top PC world we live in mm-hmm. um, would not exist if people called out spade a spade. So what would uh, what, uh, so what if you offend them? They deserve it. They cheated. Uh, I've got to say, Chrissy, I love the balls you have there. I love the attitude. I'm too much of a soft cock to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let it go. Triathlon is an individual sport. If you can live with... Who's this? Uh, sorry, Guy Pilkington. Let it go. Triathlon is an individual sport. If you can live with lying to yourself th- that you completed something that you didn't, then it's a bit sad anyway. I'll always treasure the medals and the towels I've earned with hard work and determination and nothing takes that away. Cheaters are just that. Don't even let them ruin your day by getting involved. The only problem with that one is, I totally agree, move on, your mm. life's not worth wasting worrying about some dork, but imagine if they got your cone of slot. 
Yeah, <laughs> that might be a different story. Daniel Langton, I went to school. I forgot called Daniel Langton. Um, honestly, I'd normally be too tired at the end of a race to do anything. At the most, he might get a stern look. Steve Bell, first thing I would ask myself, if they cheat, how does it really affect my race and my result? For most of us, it does not really affect our race. If they kept you out of the prize money or a Kona spot, go hard. But realistically, for most of us, triathlon triathlon is a sport that we are competing against ourselves and or the course. It is uh, to achieve a distance or to beat our PB. Um, good old James Thomas has got. I'd, 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 oh, I'd be a complete chicken ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lynette Warren, what happened to me? The famous Iranian woman who did Kona covered fully. Saw her drafting for three to four kilometres behind a guy on the bike. She sat at my table at prize giving. I wanted to say something, but the others. Um, with me said I should not cause trouble as she was a nice lady I sat there fuming and couldn't force myself to talk to her when she wanted to make small talk great in me now every time I see her or hear people saying how amazing she is good old Alan Bryson's got go back to my idea of for a name and shame on I'm talk send in your bid numbers name and the details and your name and shame Joe Skipper said call them a wanker and then call them <laughs> up on what I saw them do <laughs> John, what would you do? Again, as some people have commented, it might it'd probably depend on... If your Kona slot was on the line. And, and if it was going to impact my race. Uh, if, if I was riding along, and say, for example, I started, uh, it was a wave a wave start or a rolling start, and you roll along some, and, and somebody's drafting on somebody else, and, and, and they're going to come... Yeah, but they don't care. But they're probably clueless about it. Then I'll just roll past. If it was somebody uh, in a situation where you know I was riding in a group of four people and everybody's trying to play by the rules, and somebody is uh, blatantly drafting, yeah, I'm, I would let them know on the course. If it was a drafting no, but this, is after, the, this, uh, the, oh, this is after. This is after. Yeah, so that's the thing on the course. Of course, you'd yell yeah. at them. Yeah, you know. But if like I've yelled at people on the course, and I'm the nicest guy around. Yeah. But, but if you were. After the fact. Yeah, like the next day, you're going to the prize giving, you're standing next to this person, <laughs> you wouldn't. I'd like to think I'd have the balls <laughs> to say something, but then you're just being a sore loser. I, I reckon if they bumped into, because you, you do have a breaking point. Mm. You do have a bit of an incredible hulk in you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when you were in Auckland, you went mad at that person. Yes, I did. You, you know? Yeah. So, so I think for you, you wouldn't, unless they annoyed you in that moment, and then you would let leash. Yeah, but... I, I, you don't want to come across as a sore loser, and that that would be my thing. If I if I say something here, if I unleash, am I just a sore loser? So they cheated. I, yeah, I know. What would so. you do, Bevan? I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it's a confrontation. I want people to like me too much, so, so, so I might suck a confrontation. Yeah. So, um, but I wouldn't let it own me either. Mm. I, like, I, yeah, I'm really no one owns yeah, me. Yeah, get over things. Pretty, yeah. I'd, get, I'd get over it pretty yeah. quick. But in the moment. I'd like to think I'd do something. Mm. What about that Kiwi boy winning Tour de France? He won the KOM. Uh, that's, the, a, that's a big thing for a Kiwi boy, isn't it? It is. It's, I know you're going to downplay it, but I'm still. Not, you know, it's, 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 it's a cool thing. I wouldn't say it's a big thing. It's a really cool thing because at the start, it's like one, one point. Yeah. Uh, and still. he managed to sprint over a hill. Not taking anything away. He did it. It was awesome. Um, and hopefully he can hold on for a little bit longer because he's a good rider. Is he? Mm. Who's the other guy? Who's a Kiwi rider? Uh, we've got several. Um, no, we've got one guy who's a tour right he, now. He's, he's not riding the Tour de France. Why not? George Bennett. Because he's done the Giro and, he, and I'm pretty sure he's doing the Vuelta. Uh. This week's discussion, good old Scott Schumann, Schumate. Schumate. Uh, sent through this week's discussion. Great one. I can't 
really, have we done this one before? I think we may have done, but it's probably worthwhile doing again. It was discussed on the camp and road, so Scott was over there, and I think Annette Lee was part of the discussion as well. Okay, the discussion is, if you could put together the best triathlon course in the world using existing courses, what would it be? E.g., you could swim Challenge Wanaka, bike Ironman Austria, and run Norseman. What would be your ultimate iron distance course? That's a good one. I like it. Okay, John, uh, let's do sponsor first. Extreme endurance. Oh, it's your leg, buffer. Now we can harp on about extreme endurance as much as you like and tell you guys you should, you should go into reasons for this, this, and this. But I love it when we get um, listeners of the show actually emailing in. We've got uh, Darren Cranston, who's a new patron. We've got to come up with a name for nice. for Darren shortly. Um, I've been using extreme endurance for the last two months and actually can't believe how the legs feel compared to the previous races in a good way. So big thumbs up to him, uh, up to them. And he needs it because he's done Challenge Road um, a couple of weeks ago and then he's going off and doing uh, Ironman, I think it's Copenhagen in a couple of, uh, in, in, I'm not sure if it's, in seven weeks time. So those are the times when you really need everything within your power to get your legs right. So you need to do the training obviously, but if you go and do an Ironman race or Iron Distance race, then Extreme Endurance can really help you A, with your performance leading up, but B, with your recovery afterwards. And when you have got a quick turnaround, it makes a massive difference. So, Like next year if you went and did the, the ITU and 70.3s. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to recover between races, recover better from your sessions, check it out, xendurance.com or there's the .co.uk or there's .eu. And remember the promo code uh, IMTALK20. Get yourself 20% discount off. If you're a Kiwi or Aussie, I stock it over here as well. Um, and just get in touch. So check it out, xendurance.com. And we get lots of good feedback from listeners saying that really it's a really good product. So check it out, xendurance.com. Team, I sat down with Erin Baker in the last part of the camp and just had a good 30-minute kind of interview. With her. It's a little bit of background noise because we're kind of in the cafe area, but um, it's a pretty great interview. I, I, I really, great. you know, like she was really cool to talk to. So here is Erin Baker. Right, I'm, I'm very happy to have uh, <laughs> a legend, although she, she underplays it herself, but Erin uh, Baker on the show. Thank you for coming on. Erin, you? more than welcome, Bevan. So we had, we, we had a good talk the other night. We were just having a chat about things, and you made a good point about being a female athlete and the advantages of having a kid. And do you want to share a little bit there? I thought it was a really interesting insight. Well, I think as, you know, you, you learn more and more as life goes on, but, you know, what I've sort of looked at in the past 20 or 30 years is how difficult it is for athletes to get out of sport mm. um, it's your, all of everything and uh, everything that comes with it and you know I realised probably not so much at the time but after that fact that when you want to have children which I did want to have it was a, a good escape route from triathlon getting out of my career and having something else to do mm. and a lot of people maybe don't have that they don't have something to immediately go to so it was just more of a hindsight sort of thing I thought well I didn't ever have that big void of, you know, what do I do now, who am I, you know, my life's so different than, it, or my life was obviously different, but I never had that yearning or whatever that I see most athletes have after sport, not really knowing who they are anymore. Yeah. With, with, with the choice of having kids, did yep. you always know there was a time, like, did you say at 35, I'm going to, I don't know when you had kids, but you know what I mean? Like, because you did have a career and there was kind of like, it's yeah. a big decision, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is a big decision, and but I don't think I actually put a time on it. I was just so ready to get out of triathlon. I'm, oh, okay. I just, I'm quite a 
clinical person and and I say that harshly of myself but I set myself goals and once they're achieved I'm finished and all of a sudden I was just sort of knew I was finished. I, I actually was going to be finished maybe two years earlier than I was um, because when we had Miguel I thought that was the end of my career but mm. it was subsequently I got a you know a great sort of sponsorship opportunity and so I did continue for about another year and a half but um, no it was, it was more the fact that I was done with triathlon mm. and then it was time to do the next thing which was children and then after children there was some time to do something else and that's how I am and so that's how I, my life just sort of unfolds. You, you had quite a successful running career kind of post was that after that would be after children was it? Well no actually running was always sort of my passion my unfulfilled but happy about it passion yep. I said I did a, there was a few years where I wondered um, whether I should be a runner not a triathlete oh really yeah and I mean I loved running and I actually you know got quite good at running because you just so, got Commonwealth Games at the end of your career yeah didn't I you? qualified for the Commonwealth yeah. Games but there were four of us that did but I won big seven road race in the United States yeah. and I did some pretty handy marathons yeah. but I it, so I, I interspersed them with triathlon which because I love to run probably wasn't what my sponsors always wanted me to do and it you know I would miss an Ironman to go and do a running race or I probably you know I can't quite work out why I never did Roth but it was probably be maybe because I had a running race I wanted to do so but again that's still me like I it's how I operate if I really really want to be doing something or I, I mean running I was good at running at that stage I think well you know let's try and be a runner now yeah Mm. What, what, what you know? Thinking back, tell us your mindset when you were in a, as an athlete. Like, what was your approach to life and approach to racing? Well, my my approach to life and racing life has always been: you do the best you can when you you know at the place that you're at. Yeah. I mean, I've always worked incredibly hard. It didn't matter if I was struggling to get school exams done, or whether I was, you know, had a school running event, or whether I had exams to do, or whether I was. St- trying to study a language or that I just try as hard as I can I do I, I just unfortunately try and then you know I do as <laughs> well try. and that means I put a lot of pressure on myself to do as well as I can but for me every event was just do as well as you can and that took up a whole spectrum of things like you have to do well now for your sponsor and you have to do well now because people in your country are watching you and you have to do well now because you know you're parents or your partner put effort into you and then I'd do everything I could to do well. So you always turned up knowing you ticked every box? Oh, always. Okay. I just wouldn't have not even, I wouldn't ever compete if I hadn't. Really? I did, I did one exception, I did Zoffingen once. Um, I was going to watch but the people who were putting it on were such wonderful people and just sort of begged me to go in it because I had won it I think a couple of times before. So I did, I did that event unprepared. But um, you know, I, I turned up, I did the absolute best I could on the day and then I was just absolutely totally couldn't wait to get on the first plane out of there in fact it was always known you know I I had a a person at Air New Zealand that they'd always know I'd be ringing like can I get an earlier flight (laughs) earlier flight just like tonight tonight I'm out I'm out I'm out I'm out I'm out I'm out now and I just that's when I'm finished I was like done job done so where was the satisfaction for you um I don't know where it was. It, my satisfaction, yeah, I, look, I didn't actually enjoy the sport until I met Scott. Really? It wasn't that like I was unhappy in it. Yeah. Because I was, you know, doing my job well. But I, when I met Scott, he just sort of brought some sort of fun factor into it. And I loved 
Colorado. I met some really neat people there that I really, really liked. And I started to sort of have fun. Just think, he, he tried to tell me, you know, just, you know, do some different things or just enjoy the environment. So I did start to do that. I used to, you know, look around more when I was biking and I used to just think, hey, I'm, I'm very fortunate to do this. But it's, yeah, it's the fun fact. It was, you know, it was always quite a lot of pressure for me. I, I did it seriously. I'm not a funny person. I never have been. Yeah, do, do you appreciate... It's funny, you talk about... It pretty much seems like, at least in your perception of yourself, is that from day one you're always the tick-the-box person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and it's brought you a lot of success in life. And um, what, what was some of the downfalls of that for you? Well, I think, you know, people think I'm unbelievably harsh, unbelievably clinical, mm. you know, all those sorts of things that don't have nice... Uh, traits, or people think they're not nice traits, especially when talking about a woman. Mm. So that probably did give me that air of that, you know, elusiveness, determination, sort of not looking sideways. Yeah. Um, I actually wasn't that. I just was was it in that moment. Yeah. But people who would see me from the outside would have thought I was, you know, harsh and horrible. It took a lot. It probably took a lot of getting to know me that I wasn't like that, which was unbelievable. That Scott saw it very. Straight away. Oh, really? But uh, that surprise, you know, I, that blew me away. What was it like for you at the moment? Because uh, you're kind of saying you're doing, a cl- you're kind of doing a sport clinically. Yeah. You weren't necessarily enjoying it, but you're having a massive success. Yeah. That, that must be quite a kind of an epiphany moment for you. What Scott brought to your life? Yeah, well, he did. He brought it. Yeah, he did. He because I was I was going to be all finished when I met him. I was on my way home. Oh, really? I didn't, yeah, I was on my way back to New Zealand. And I was decided that was enough. That was enough. But you know, then I met him, and I think I. Did six or so more years there. Oh wow! So yeah. you really prolonged your yeah, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that was the most enjoyable part of your career. Yeah, it was because I really did. You know, I got into. I did more running events then as well. Yeah. I, I think running always was your my passion. passion. Um, and yeah, I mean, having a partner to do it with that you you know love and enjoy their company and. It was just was yeah fun in Colorado and people around Colorado and and I I have certain things that I very much like to have all my training done and then I love to experience places so yeah. Scott and I are a bit different like that so we trained at different times often but I love to you know walk around a city and walk around the bike paths and sit in the libraries and watch people go by so yeah. I I would do that I started to do a lot of that yeah so you learned how to live your life better around sport yeah I did yeah, yeah. yeah. um well I remember John Hellerman saying because I think he was the first person you were the first person he coached and he thought this coaching thing is easy because he, <laughs> yeah. I remember listening to an interview and he said the coaching's easy because he gave you a program you took the boxes done and then he said and then he got real people <laughs> and it was quite yeah, yeah. it was quite frustrating uh do you find it hard working with other people because of your high standards for yourself I've learned to be better because, you know, I have a business and I've I've worked with people. But it takes a lot of, you know, of finding, tuning the edges and then smoothing the edges. It's taken me years probably to to smooth the edges. Um, But, yeah, of course, I had really high standards and it would have made me very difficult to work with and, and be around because, you know, I would find it incredibly frustrating if someone wouldn't work as long or as hard as me or mm. shouldn't think that they should be have a 70 or 80 hour week to get their job done. Or, yeah. But I have, you know, age is good and I much, you know, I understand life better now and your family or your kids help you with that and people around you. But, you know, just ageing is, is a good thing. I'm really pleased to be ageing. Why? Because it's, 
it's all the most of the hassle's gone out of my life now. Okay. You know, it's life's difficult. Life's difficult mm. to do things and get them right and understand your mistakes and try and be good to people around you and, and it's just not easy and so I think, you know, you learn to be better at it. You get better at doing life. Yeah, it's also interesting as well. Like I I think of, you know, when you were at the top of your game, you, you're, you're a public figure really, aren't you? And also the public figure has that thing where everyone's trying to please you. You know, we were talking about the seven, mm. wasn't it? Is mm. it like I work for Les Mills and in Les Mills, you know, I have a certain level of fame and I see people who have higher fame than me in Les Mills and my, my thing is that everyone laughs at your jokes and that and mm. it's not that your jokes are funny, it's just everyone's mm. trying to please you. Mm. So you also live in a bit of a false reality when you're in that level of, of public figure and of a sport. It was How do you keep real in that? Well, I think it's probably more difficult now and it's more difficult for men because I really didn't have fame, fame. I mean, I had... T- periods of it you know I'd have periods where and say you know someone will come and do a documentary I mean I remember being in Sports Illustrated once and the crew came from America to do an article and documentary on me and that was when you know that would have been considered semi-fame and but you know um, it still even if I was winning overseas it wasn't all that really well known I mean the small groups of triathlete knew Mm -hmm. and I think it's something that follows men more I mean you know I'd never had a commercial in New Zealand I had lots of you know things like that so so it didn't it's it it, I never had so much of that I'm famous and people are swarming around me trying to please me and, and and putting me into a false sense of reality just on that what do you admire in another person honesty yeah. And just realness. I, I just, it's. I, I can. I can. I, I sum up people far too quickly. I sum oh, okay. up people very, very quickly, and I'm getting a little bit better at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but you know, I, I just, I just need people who are real. Who they have to be a little bit comfortable with themselves and yeah. don't have to pretend to anyone else around them. And that's probably, in itself, a difficult thing. You know, a lot of people are trying to find themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are portraying something they're not really deeply in, inside themselves. Um, one thing you were always very good at was um, fighting the good fight yeah. uh, and standing up for the causes that you believed in. Why do you think you're so strong there? Uh, that came from my family, my upbringing. I think, and you know, my mother's father was worked with Norman Kirk back in the day. Oh, really? A lot of people won't even you know know who he is, but he my he did. And my mother was always you know she was. Just a, she was a woman uh, that believed in causes and people and justice. She worked for a, you know, an organisation in New Zealand called Justice and something, and she worked for Corso New Zealand. She worked for volunteer groups and all of that sort of thing. So we were just surrounded by it, and but some of it would have been in me as well. You know, just the, it, the you know, I would simplistically think, you know. Why would you pay men and women different? Why would you see any difference between black and white or yellow and green? You yeah. know, why, why? I couldn't see why people would see there was a difference. You know, so it would just—that's you know why I fought the equality fight with triathlon because I was like, well, why am I doing the same job? Would I not be equal? Yeah. And it was the same with you know people and causes. You know, why are they not equal because they live in a different place? How did you handle the resistance? Because I know you're quite thick-skinned, but but. Well, you know, I, I missed out on a f- quite a few things in my triathlon career for people saying, well, you know, we don't agree with you. You know, yeah. I, I didn't go to South Africa, and that, I think that was a, early on, there was a lot of money to do that. Oh, was there? Yeah, I um, didn't, I was offered a car if 
I won these, but only I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. Oh, really? Yeah, because they, they weren't going to give... The men were getting a car, and I said, well, I wouldn't do it unless the, the women were getting a car as well. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, if you win, we'll give you a car. And I said, well, that's not good enough. Whoever wins has to have a car. So I didn't go to Nice that year. Wow. That was real difficult because Le Coq Sportif was my sponsor, and Nice was their big event. Yeah. So there were you know, the odd thing like that that actually... You know, caused me issues and probably caused me issues with sponsors as well. It's, it's hard to remember them all, but you know, I would say no if it's not just about me. I mean, even a local event in New Zealand, um, it wasn't triathlon, I won't mention what it was, but they sort of said the same. I said, Well, I'm not doing it, I guess it gets the same as the men. They're like, Well, if you win, we'll give you the same as the men, but only if you win. I was like, well, no, You know, I won't do that. It's not the point. No, it's not the point. It's amazing how dumb that is. You know, like if you're putting a stand up saying, yeah. I'm only going to give it three. Oh, but what about you? What, yeah. what do you think I am? You yeah, think yeah. I'm doing this selfishly? Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's so blind. Well, I think a lot of people do, though. You know, uh, okay. you know it's, it's not a being nasty about others, but, you know, a lot of people are just set in, in making sure their life is good. And I, I'm not criticising that completely because, you know, life's hard and maybe people do just have to look after themselves foremost. But. Mm. It's sort of, you know, I was a bit fortunate when I got into triathlon. I won an event very early on, and I got $12,000, which was the same for men and women, and I thought at that time I was absolutely, totally wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot of money for me. And, and it's it, early 80s, and it, isn't and it? it so, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of so money. So it kept me going for quite a long time, so I never felt... The pressure. The pressure. Yeah, okay. Um, I know you're someone who very much kind of looks forward in life, you know, that you're not, you're not the reflective <laughs> person in many ways. But no. Well, looking back upon your career, since so I'm going to ask a question, yeah. which is totally against yeah. how you think, but what are some of the races that you go... Like I'm proud of that race, or you know, like do you have that? And if so, what are they? Yeah, well, I, you know, I loved Zoffingen. I was a running. Why? Oh, in the forest, running in the forest, running in the forest. Yeah. Beautiful course and nice and and you know a nice hilly bike course. Because that was Zoffingen was duathlon, wasn't it? Duathlon. Yeah, yeah. Loved that event. Um, loved Nice biking in the mountains and back in the mountains forever and a day. Anything that's uphill in the mountains or in a forest, you know, I just absolutely adore. So I love yeah. that. Um, I, there was an event in um, Wilkes Bar, and there was an event in Pennsylvania. A beautiful place. Loved the people we stayed with. So yeah, and then I'm, um, you know, the other events you sort of did because you had to do them. And I'm not saying I didn't like them, mm. but those ones really st- stuck out for me. And I, one of the things I'm, you know, certainly most proud of that was. I won um, Big Seven Road Race, and that was huge. So I don't even know it. Tell me about it. Well, it was one of the you know 10k road races in America. It was a huge event. Okay. And, you know, I beat every runner on the planet. Wow. Well, you know, American road runners and everything. Yeah. So I won it, and I set the course record. And, and what stage of your career were you? Well, I was you know well into triathlon. I was you know whatever. I was yeah. 28ish. Okay. Yep. And I, I was running on the track in Boulder one day and doing K intervals or something, and Robert Costello said to me, girl, you know, need to go to a road race this weekend. And he got me an agent, and I went to a road race basically the next weekend, and I won it, and I won money, and I won a Pontiac, Pontiac Grand Am. What, what was that like from the other... <laughs> some random triathlete turns know, up to... They weren't happy. No, I'm sure they weren't. They, they, I have to say, there were a couple of women that were, and I sort of got to know them, but it was... Yeah, the women were not happy, and, and I had all sorts of drug allegations. Oh, strong. really? Well, you know, after the races, this triathletes won the race, you know. Yeah. In fact, I remember running up the hill, the, the first hill, which is a big hill, and, you know, we do hills well, triathletes, yeah. and the road runners not so well. Yeah. And I heard the girls behind me, oh, don't worry, she's just going for a preem. I'm like, I didn't even know there was a preem. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, yeah, they weren't happy. 
a bit better, you know, try it. I think it. everyone fights for their own place and their own space. Yeah. And having a triathlete come into a running event, it's like triathletes going and becoming cyclists or yeah. cyclists coming into triathlon. You're sort of th- somehow thinking it diminishes your own sport, like... You know, yeah. does that make me not a great runner because a triathlete can beat me running? And that's not the case at all. But, but in fairness to you, and, 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 I can't imagine many triathletes have transferred back to another sport and been that successful. I can't, there's not many that come to mind. You know, like, yeah, so, yeah. you guys have gone to cycling, but they've never been a top two France rider. Or, you well, know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I think you'd find that nowadays, like there are some really, I'm not great with all the young athletes' mm. names anymore, but there are some outstanding runners, you know, in in and triathletes and the Brownlee brothers themselves you Mm. know who says that they wouldn't be Olympic runners if they just ran but they just that's not how the sport is now for them they wouldn't have a place to be able to take the time away to try to just be a runner it might not pay them what triathlon pays them it might not be what their sponsors want so Mm. you know did you ever have a moment where you're like maybe I will just go running yeah, I nearly did. Really? Yeah, I really. I, I didn't do Hawaiian Ironman one year to do Chicago Marathon. Oh, really? And was I, that controversial at the time? Yeah, yeah, it was. People yeah. wouldn't remember it now, but no. it was. It was a big deal, and you know, I'm sure the you know the other woman Ironman were going great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, you know, I thought then I was really ready to win a, a major marathon. Yeah. How'd you go? I didn't. I can't remember. I did fine, but yeah. not great. Yeah. Maybe I. And was it just a bad race, or was it you? you yeah, I, it was like everything else. I realised afterwards that, you know, I think I might have ran about two thirty-two or three yep. or something, but that I wasn't, I wasn't a marathoner. Okay. I wasn't, you know, yeah. like you become a great Ironman triathlete. I wasn't a marathoner. I got caught up in the hype early on. Probably went too fast to start. Yep. And just that sort of thing. So yeah. it made me realise, yeah, it's one thing to jump to a 5 or 10k but to become a marathoner yeah it's a different I game I had to t- put a lot more effort into it yeah, yeah. um well, this is the question I mean it's just gone away what, what other random races were highlighted in your running career um well I did I did uh I did a running race I think it was L- LA Marathon that was a funny one because I sort of got picked it was a you did it with two people yeah and oh, really uh, well yeah there, there was, like a team. it was like a team thing oh, and a I, combined I, time type thing yes okay. and I don't know how I got into it but somehow um, a f- friend of mine in New Zealand Peter Renner who was a top marathon at the time he he was there and I got a phone call I must have been in the states and they said well would you do it and I'm like yeah I'll do it and that was hilarious because Peter Renner was a runner, but he was the day before. I'm saying, well, you know, what special needs? You're going to have water. He was like, water? Why would I have water? I'm like, <laughs> you know, this guy isn't he a runner? <laughs> anyway, we we won it between oh, really? us. I I think I did two thirty two or two thirty three, and he did maybe I don't know two twelve or yeah. thirteen, and so we won it. And wow. I think it was called the AT and T Challenge, and we won like fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, and I remember. Because I was flying home that night, and this was just a funny story. I was flying home that night, and I was with um, United for some reason, and I was in the economy, and I was had an interview after the race. I said, "Oh, wouldn't it be amazing if United Airlines upgraded me?" Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Big, fingers crossed. Going, and I got to the airport, and I'm like, yeah, "Miss Baker." I'm oh, like, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you're very much known as tough. You know, like you know, and you've kind of identified that one of the things that you needed to tickle the boxes, which allowed you to feel confident going into a race, is mm. kind of what you expressed earlier. Um, tell me about the moment where you're really pushing yourself. What was going through your head at that moment? Can you remember those? What, what kind of the place you were in? 
Oh, I used to, when I, I, early on I used to have this sort of saying, you know, no one's, you deserve it most, no one's worked oh, harder really? than you. Yeah, I always used to have that, that was because... It, so you felt you deserved it? Yeah, well wow. I, I, but that was probably a little bit naive and ignorant. Because well, I worked. used to think, you know, well I used to think I'm, I used to say to people that somewhere in the world someone's training, so I'm going to go and train again. I had the ability to train and train. I had the ability to do more and more. I never got injured. I could have another run and another run that day. So I had this mentality, you know, I shouldn't let an opportunity go by to not train because somewhere in the world someone's training. So then I used to say well to myself, well, probably I've trained more than anyone's trained, so I deserve it more. And that was simplistic. And and so I used to live by that a little bit. But as you... As you you know mature and you realise everyone's training extremely hard out mm. there, um, you know I don't know I how at that end anymore how you keep yourself going when you're absolutely you know shattered. Yeah. I mean I think every, so you everything changes you know to begin with you do things because you think this is fun and you know I'm getting a trip overseas and I'm being a pro athlete how does that that sounds great and then you, you know things change your state of mind changes and the reasons you do things change and so then I, you know I would think well I'm fortunate to be working you know doing this full time and other people are out there paving roads with tarmac in the mm-hmm. 30 degrees and so my mentality was changing all the time and so my reason and you know but then your reasons change as well so money became a factor Okay. Well, you know, eventually you're thinking, well, there's there's a lot of money at stake here, and so I'll push myself harder because of the money. Yeah. So you know, it's it's wasn't all for righteous reasons. Yeah. It went hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was for the good old capitalism. But I I have forgotten how you got through those times of you know I'm going to die here. There's a question I always like to like I, I had an experience like I've, in my, my own personal career. You know, I'm, I'm very much at the end or the last point of my personal career within these mills at least. Um, and I had this experience where someone on YouTube put a video of me at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really interesting moment because it was kind of like, oh wow, it reminded me of just a younger version of myself. And, and But there was also, it also made me remind myself of some lessons that maybe I'd forgot, you know, and that maybe I do need to bring back into my life. Not, 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 not that I'm just beating myself up, but it's just mm. like, oh, mm-hmm. there's, there's something that could have that maybe I've lost a little bit of that I need to bring back. Mm. What would be that for you? Um, well, I don't know that I lost it and needed to bring it back, but I, it would have been it would have been nice for me and those around me if I had bought a little bit of um, fun is a bit too simplistic, but a little bit more you know enjoyment of the environment I was in earlier yeah. that I had understood that yeah. earlier because it would have made made my life with you know my training and travel more enjoyable and it would have been nicer for those around me that maybe could have had some nicer times with me or I could have shared some just Shared fun with, moments yeah. light moments with people easier rather than everything always being sort of so clinically done yeah. dusted off next one you 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 close to retirement age <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's, that's I'm not. way of putting it just uh, so old uh, <laughs> What's life for the next kind of period of your life? You know, I know you've still got your career, but, you know, like I imagine the next period that kind of starts to move back a little bit. What, how do you see the next moment of your life? Um, well, I'm really enjoying now being fit again. I, I'm absolutely loving it. Because you did back. pull away for a long time, didn't oh, you? I, I had, you know, 
I've had 15 years plus of sort of building a business, yeah, working and a lot successfully. Too much. Yep, 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 and you know, getting exercise in here and there, but nothing yeah. to the extent I am again now. So about a year ago, I had a, just a moment, and I thought, this, you know, it's time to get fit again and enjoy. It. And I've, I've been loving it. I love it. I, you know, why? Oh, I don't know why. It's you know, I could get out. I I can still. I can still bike so incredibly well for my age, and I can get out into the mountains, and I would stay there all day. I wouldn't care. Like, if I get lost today and we're out for 10 hours, I really won't care. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's all, it's, it's bringing back some of the past remembrances of what I used to do, yeah. but also just, you know, how fortunate am I to have, have a, a body that was still working for me, that I have some more time now to be able to enjoy it and also you know have some income so that I can see wonderful places enjoy being around groups and enjoy just I, don't, I mean I absolutely adore it I get I get home when it's you know winter and I think great I, you know I can go for a run I can go for a run and so I, I don't I'm very I'm uh, I'm sort of blessed yeah. That I can do this again now, and I think that's what you know, Scott and I will spend the next. 10 but so, or it's also years. really interesting. Just think of today's discussion because what's really interesting is that um, your evolution as a person is you're now the person who pre- can appreciate that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that you can be in the hill and go, "Wow, yeah. I'm the person who gets to have this." You know, yeah. Yeah. there's this kind of um, ability to be able to have gratitude. You know, mm, that, that's mm. been something that's been your development, I think, is kind of... Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. you know, that's why I say I don't want to probably want to be young or anything. That I, I'm i enjoying becoming a better person. You know, I'm enjoying... I don't know how Scott's sort of waited for me to get to this point <laughs> for so long. <laughs> Poor old Scott. But, you know, I mean, I enjoy... I mean, I, you know, I'm learning Italian and I'm loving that. I'm loving talking to people and them helping me to correct me. And I... Just, yeah, so I think that, that the next 15 years, while we're still able to, you know, we'll spend a lot more time where we can, biking and walking and jogging and swimming. I love my swimming again. Didn't swim for about 20 years. Wow. Why, why do you think your body's been so good? Because, you know, like, you were of that time when they, you guys just trained like animals and yeah. you had that attitude that you've identified with earlier. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I think it's identifiable now. As I have good genetics and yep. I see that through my family and my mother. And um, But also having had that 20 years to come of a little bit of a, you know, a blimp and a little bit, you know, yeah. soft, maybe it, it helped. Maybe it's yeah. just, you know... I, I prolonged it. Yeah, it's prolonged it, yeah. you know. So it's probably both of those things, those factors. With you and Scott, you are different personalities in, in quite, quite an extreme way, really. Yeah. Scott, you know, you're kind of tick all the boxes. Scott's yeah. very much a relaxed kind of soul. Yeah. What's been, what's the key to a good relationship? Well, he adores me, so that's that's uh, a good start. What a beautiful thing to know. Yeah, he, he, he absolutely adores me, which, you know, blows me away each time he says it, which is often. Um, How special yeah, is that? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And um, so there's that, but it's, oh, who knows what makes a good relationship. You know, we, he's stuck in the, he, he has been good at st- sticking in when I've been at my worst points. Yep. Um, I'm good at keeping us organised and focused on things that need actually have to be done in, the, in family and life and yep. kids and and sometimes it has meant him giving him a, a kick and going yep. you know you have to go and deal with this now yep. so you know probably we are the chalk and the cheese we yeah. are the you know the fat and the thin and we are the you know the whatever we yeah. are opposites but that we we, we mold together really well in, in the middle and it doesn't mean that we don't have times where we are at no. each other but in general it's you know we've both 
smoothed each other's edges, or maybe I've given Scott an edge because yeah. he might have needed an edge. You know, <laughs> yeah. but then he was all smooth. <laughs> but he was saying it's yeah. kind of the thing of we both. I, I remember my dad said it once to me. He said, "I'm I'm better with you, mum." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and, you, and you bring that to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and yes. yeah, no, that That's together we're, right. mm-hmm. we're we're a better thing because mm-hmm. we have each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I I've, I would love to see more people work through the hard years and the kid years and the mm-hmm. difficult years and and realise that actually, you know, what someone saw in you and you saw in them in the beginning, you know, quite often was very real, mm-hmm. and, it, and it probably still is there because you know I'm the same with my parents. I remember when they were, my mum was actually living next door. Yeah, okay, yep. And, you know, and then and that was for a short period of time, and, and they, got through you it. know, they got through their whole lives together and, and loved each other, and so, yeah, a learning lesson, life. Never, you never stop learning. I had one great teacher at school. I had many good ones, but, and she said if you learnt something every day, then it was worth being alive, and try and learn something each day. What, what, what wisdom would you want to share with the pro athlete today? Enjoy it. Um, it's a you know it's a blessed special time. Um, remember, you have a future out there as well. You know you not not. We often have more than one gift, or mm. or you can develop other talents. Is probably the better way of saying yeah. it. You can develop other talents in your life. So, don't leave everything to the last moment until. And Scott told me very early on. He said, "There's only two ways athletes get out of sport." said most get out the first way which is injury and you're forced out okay he said make sure you're that's what he said to me make sure you're the one the small percentage that chooses to get out wow. so I did that and he chose the other I took his wisdom he didn't even listen yeah, to himself exactly. <laughs> oh Aaron it's been a pleasure to have you on I, I always love interviewing you you're very honest and you say it's important and uh, you've, you're a real treasure to our sports thank you very much thank you much Bevan. Awesome. it's a pleasure Legion. She is. It's just great to see her back. I haven't heard, listened to the interview, but I'll, I'll go back, Bevan, and listen to it uh, because Erin's made a, a comeback from, not come back to racing, although she has done a few races, um, but really, you know, completely walked away from the sport. Yeah, and she really did. And she talks about it. She talks about how much she's loving it again. Mm. Yeah. She was just. She was a great, a, great camp member as well. What a great, what a star. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of interviews that we did on the camp. If you listened to the last few episodes, you know that we did the camp interviews and we had a couple that we didn't get in while we are over and wrote. So we're going to put them on right now. Nadia and Jordan are the two interviews we're going to put up. Okay, so that's pretty simple. Your name and where you're from. Um, Nadia McLaren, I'm from Christchurch. So what got you into triathlon? Um, I think I did, I wanted to lose weight and I did those special K. Oh wow, um, you started right at that level. Yeah, yeah, wow. the women's triathlons that we had in Christchurch. Um, and, and were you exercising before that moment? Um, I was, yeah, I probably like, I'd been walking, like walking and running and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, I thought I'd do something that, yeah, gave me a goal to a challenge. And so you turn up, you do the special K Women's Triathlon. Yeah. Was, was it in um, bloody Scarborough and Christchurch? Uh, no, it was at Kiwi too. Oh, because they went into the pool, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, it was in the pool. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was that experience like? Um, it was great. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> you couldn't believe how nervous you were. Really? Um, yeah, looking back now, it's just like, how nervous was I, you know? Mm. You were really nervous. Um, yeah, and, and my goal was just to run the run. It was like a 3K run. And just to run the entire way, yeah. and that was that was it. And, and you did it. <laughs> yeah, and I did it. And so it obviously planted a seed. Yeah, yeah. So from there it was like, oh yeah, I'll oh, keep going, and just you know went that extra bit further the next time, and 
yeah, just progressed up. And so how long was it between Special K and doing an Ironman? Um, I'd probably say two or three years. Wow. Yeah. What's it, what's it like going through that? You know, because you, obviously maybe you're a little bit inconsistent with exercise. You kind of find the thing that maybe just spun your wheels. Yeah. And you're doing a pretty extreme level pretty quickly. What what was that kind of experience like just on a personal level? I don't know. You kind of just did it. Oh, really? So <laughs> and just... it was just like, yeah, you were just thinking of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. You just, you know, it was just what's the next thing to do and, and yeah, and just enjoying myself. So let's keep going. Yeah. I did do, actually, I did the coast to coast actually before I did an Ironman. So I did oh, wow. that. And then I did, yeah, an Ironman probably the year after that. So. Yeah. And what, what was the difference between two races? Between the two races? Yeah, well, like as in the experience at least. Um, coast to Coast was just a great time and it was fun and you just had lots of people around you and it was really, you know, the camaraderie. Yep. Um, whereas Ironman's just more something that you do by yourself, for mm. yourself. And you've kind of stuck more with the Ironman side of things or do you sort of have been multi-sport? Um, I do fluctuate, but... Um, yeah, I do generally stick more with triathlon because it's easier. Oh, yeah. Because you don't have to worry about other people. and Yeah, kayaking and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite so difficult to get out and stuff like that. And so how do you, how do you fit triathlon into life? Because, you know, you're doing the extreme level of it. How does that work for you? Um, yeah, it fluctuates. And then it's, yeah, like it, probably in the last year I decided to come do roach again. I was like, okay, how the hell am I going to fit? I'm in training back into my life when it was just, yeah, and I was like, okay, I can do this, I've done it before, and it, yeah, it just, just progressively, you just progress with your training and you just fit it in somehow. And, yeah, it is, it just, is funny, because I think of back to when I was training, and, and I was just, that was all I did, and the idea of trying to do that now, it just seems impossible, and that's kind of what you're saying, is that you'd experienced it before, but then you went back to a life where you didn't have the demands of that time, and then you've been able to bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just somehow comes back. <laughs> yeah, hasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hasn't been quite to the same level as I've probably done in previous times. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's still get up at five a.m. to go swimming, and then yeah, running after work or doing something after work, and yeah, in winter as well, it makes it twice as hard. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard in Christchurch, isn't it? Because we kind of often have to train. If you want to race overseas, you got to hit the winter training to yeah. race, don't you? Yeah. Um, what does triathlon bring to your life? to my life um I suppose what I like about it the most is the training part of it like the race I can take it or leave it yeah. <laughs> it's just like um so yeah it just it gets me out into into the outside world that's kind of what I love the most is just being outside and yeah being in the sunshine as much as possible and um yeah and especially like, like around Christchurch up on the hills and stuff yeah. like that and it's just just been outside and just spending that time yeah what do you see as your greatest strength as a triathlete and, and, and even on not just like swim bike or run but like on a deeper level um I just I have this I don't know inner strength or something if you want to call it that yeah. um that just keeps me going um and yeah it's probably yeah what I'd say is probably what keeps me going all the time and you know if you think you might not be able to how, how could you possibly finish a 42k run? But <laughs> it just keeps going, yeah. And, and what about what's the greatest struggle with for you within triathlon? Um, so I do struggle with my weight a lot. Yep. And I'm an emotional eater in the last couple of years. I've had a few problems. And yeah, so I put on a lot of weight. And so that's my biggest 
biggest struggle yeah. in life, really. And, and can you, do you mind sharing about that experience? Uh, no. Okay, so, I, so like, what's, what's that like, you know, like, because... Um, tell us about the emotional kind of eating thing. Like, yeah. Is it just... T- tell us about it. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. It's just things go wrong in life, yep. as you do. And yeah. I, I know, I'm, you know, like, I just, like, keep going. You know, life like, yeah. happens and just let it roll. And, and no, nothing's ever easy, but um, I suppose my one comfort is always food. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm on top of it, and then other times I'm just not and. Yeah, and I just can't can't back, get back onto the straight and narrow very easily. Is it, is it self-fulfilling? Because like, I think of the emotional eater, and it's that thing of, I get to a place where I'm just emotional, and food's my kind of comfort at the moment. But then there's a kind of disappointment, <coughs> maybe, that comes with that, that then keeps me emotional, which keeps me in that place. Is that the experience? Yeah, in yeah. some ways, yeah, it does, it does a bit of a catch-22. Once yeah. you start, start eating... Yeah, and overeating, then it's like, oh, I just need, <laughs> I just need something to make you feel better. Um, but yeah, you start, kind of try and think, okay, right, I need something else outside of food okay. that makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's trying to get back to that spot. So when when you have been in that place where you kind of wake up and you have that awareness that oh shit, I'm in that place. Mm. What in the past has helped you shift forward? I honestly don't know. Oh, okay. And that's, I've been struggling the last year or so trying to find that spot and yeah. it's like I've done it before Yeah, I've been there before but yeah the last year or so I just haven't been able to find it. So It's um I know you've had some like big life stuff in the last year mm. and so you obviously it's probably what you, you've looked for it further. Um, it's it's interesting this idea of does training give you that? Um, yes to a certain extent but I think now like it used to give it to me more okay. but now it's just part of the daily life I think yeah. so um, yeah that's probably as I've been over here I've been thinking about what I need to do and I get back and how, how what am I going to do um, yeah maybe I just need to change it up yeah maybe I know what you're saying because like when you first do it everything's scary yeah. everything's new you kind of give it a respect you know and then suddenly once it becomes a habit it's there like I, I did the quiz down half last year and I was scared of training again mm. and like I exercise every day of my life but I'm not scared of exercise and it was so healthy to go back to that place you know and so mentally rewarding as well and, and often the habit it's almost like when you've been doing drugs you know at first the drugs gives you lots of high and after a while it's just a different state but it's not really the high if you get what I mean yeah yeah yeah. so I think yeah that thing about being scared is kind of the thing because yeah, when I first started out like I entered coast to coast didn't you know, if those not don't know about it, it's blind you know, kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. like I had I'd never done anything like that before. It was just like just that scary as anything. And then, um, yeah, and even an Ironman first time I signed up, I did Wanaka. It was the first Ironman I did because I don't like to do it easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that was scary. And it, yeah, so they've kind of lost that. Yeah, I'm not scared of them anymore. So yeah. I just yeah need something also an interesting thing just is with talking you know you've been quite open here um is this whole idea of you know like i I love this idea of my emotional tools like i kind of have my like this idea of five things i do each day which keep my emotions intact so for me it's um exercise it's playing music it's writing a journal uh meditating and joe basically you know those if each day I've got to have those in because it helps me look after my emotions. And so then I don't tend to let emotions have a destructive path in my life. Um, and one of the downfalls for the triathlete is that we kind of get time poor. 
So you, you, you've kind of said there that your thing is right now, you're not quite sure of what the answer or the replacement for emotional eating is, you know. But also it's really hard when you do a sport which takes up so much time to be able to explore and develop those other sides, mm. you know, and that's part of the conflict often for a triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, the last few months it's just been focus, get this done. Yeah. Um, spend time, yeah. So yeah. you don't really spend much time on other, yeah, thinking about other things. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the goal for the weekend? Um... To finish at the moment, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like. I, I definitely won't be doing a PB or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's just just have fun out there and just on that level because you know you said it's been a challenging time and so maybe you haven't been able to train like you wanted to, and it's not a PB. What's the mindset you want to take into the race so you can get the, the most have the best experience for you? Um, I just want to enjoy myself out there okay. as much as I, like the like, so I've done it before and the reason I came back is just because it's great atmosphere out there. Yeah. And, it's just so much support on the course and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. just have some fun. So just, uh, this is the rest of enjoy it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Awesome. Much. Well, thank you so much for your time. Good luck no with your race, and we'll be cheering you along out there. Okay, cheers. Awesome. Your name and where you're from? Uh, Jordan Blanco. I'm originally from the north of England, but I live in San Francisco, California, and I've been living there gosh 20 years wow so it's so a kind of american slash pomp kind of at the same time yeah i married a californian so i think i'm stuck out there yeah. hey um what got you into triathlon um it was actually while i was uh, when i first moved to california i was at stanford business school and in the first year I, I just met a bunch of people who were runners and triathletes so that first year of business school i ran a marathon just to check it uh tick that box and then the second year they challenged me to try a triathlon uh, but I had no idea how to swim. I mean, I'd done swim lessons at school, but I swam head up, doggy paddle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you weren't so going to drown, but you weren't <laughs> going to go fast. Right, <laughs> I was survived. So I literally did my first triathlon, um, my second year of business school, head up, swimming head up, doggy paddle. Wow. Uh, and really loved it. And I was supposed to go back to work on Wall Street in New York. And I called up um, my future manager and said, I, I need to stay in California. Because um, I, I figured in New York it'd be harder to continue to do triathlon well so you made massive life decisions around I made sport. It, yeah I mean it was the same company I was fortunate that they found me a job in uh on the west coast but yeah I, I chose that to stay in California and made career decisions because and, and I knew this was why a lifestyle do you love it so because it's, it's massive yeah it is um and I, I've not I'm not sure what sparked it but it was something that I didn't really grow up doing competitive sports um but so it's kind of it like your was, first taste of sport really yeah, no, I play. I was I was games captain at school, but I, as my headmaster once said, that was more because I was the organizational abilities and okay. the leadership talent yeah. versus the athletic ability. <laughs> um, but it was the first time that I feel like a lot of people, no one was good at all three. So if you weren't good at any single one of them, you had a chance to improve. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So no one is immediately good at triathlon. Maybe that's changing these days as the sport's gotten more mainstream yeah. and, and kids do triathlon at an early age. Mm. But at the time, in my late 20s, I'm like, you know what? No one can do all three sports, so I have at least a chance. Yeah. Um, so what's your progression from there forward? So you start off, you do a doggy paddle swim. Yeah. Um, so I did that same race. It was Wildflower Olympic the next year and improved by 30 minutes. Wow. Um, and then started in my second year of triathlon, getting into like top 10, I don't, yeah, I even got a, did my first half and got a second age wow. group, fifth overall. Um, and so the pro progression was pretty quick. Um, and I also fell into a group of friends who were all interested in uh, doing Ironman. So by 2004, I did my first Ironman um, and already had dreams of Kona. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I basically started chasing that dream uh, and qualified for my first Kona in 2005. Nice, you got there quickly. Which is a nice thing, isn't it, to kind of get there... Um because a lot of people chase it for a long time, don't they? You know, it's nice to kind of knock that out of the way. I guess. I mean, I probably take it for granted a little bit now um, that I had such a quick progression because it didn't feel like it at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, even though I had not done that many Ironmans. Um, and it was also a smaller sport 10 years ago, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. Like 2004 was my first Ironman. So you you had more slots fewer races yeah. a little easier as a woman fewer women doing it yeah. so uh, i think it's gotten a lot more competitive now what's the scene like in california um pretty strong um though i have to say a lot of my friends i i was doing it who when we were in our 30s they've evolved and moved on i'm one of the few that and my friends still on facebook or social media were like ah, i can't believe you're still racing oh really they've all moved on had kids had families and, and left the sport, which is unfortunate. So, yeah, I, I, it's still strong in, in California, but I do feel like there isn't, like, new blood and aren't many young people doing it. And why, um, why do you think that's the case? Just maybe too many other things going on. Yeah. Whether it's Spartan races. There's a lot know. more options now, isn't it? Like, <clears throat> in, the, in the industry, we're seeing, I work in fitness, and in the industry, we're seeing that people want shorter workouts. Yeah. You know, like, even at gym classes, we used to do hour workouts, and everyone's half an hour. Everyone's so time poor. That the exercise options tend to be going smaller, and, and that's where I'm in. Maybe I mean in California, like <clears throat> the buzz is a, a lot around. I mean, uh, some very trendy workouts like Barry's Boot Camp mm. workouts, Orange Theory, mm. all those kind of classes, and they're packed full of of young women in their twenties. Mm. I mean, I as as a lark last December, I just done my third Ironman of the year last year, and I I took a week to do every class. That I'd ever heard of that oh, was wow. kind of trendy, cool. yeah. And I ended up tearing my hamstring, of course. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of like I want to just go see the uh, the fitness scene yeah. in California yeah. outside a triathlon. Yeah, and it was fun. It's interesting. I can see why people keep going back to those classes. Like, so you get a huge adrenaline buzz. The outfits are, are very chic and trendy, and the all the athleisure. Um, and the, the instructors have a ton of personality. They engage you. Uh, a 45-minute, 50-minute intense workout just flies by. Yeah. And you come out feeling pretty good about yourself on an endorphin high. What do you see as your, your greatest strengths as a triathlete? Um, consistency. Um, especially I, I'm very good at like just doing the work day in, day out. Um, people will look at my results and say, oh, you're a cyclist. I'm known for typically having the fastest bike leg yep. of, in my age category, sometimes overall in the women, um, less so these days as I'm getting older. Um, but I think that's not born of any specific talent on the bike. I think it's born of commitment and miles in the legs. I don't think I have a particularly strong top end or anything like that, but... You just, just turn up day I, after day. Yeah, I turn up day after day and enjoy it. I mean, I've done more miles this week leading into a race than I ever have, but it's been fun. Like, you're touring Germany, you're seeing new places and chasing my husband on the bike. Yeah. Well, what's your greatest struggle as a triathlete? Um, I used to say the swim, but I've it's one of those things that I've plugged away at. So, again, back to the consistency. I, I used to swim a 124 in Kona, mm. and I swim a 108 this year. Wow. Um, it'd be nice this weekend to try and get down to close to an hour as possible Yeah. Uh, since we have a wetsuit. Um, the run is a, is a struggle. I don't think I'm a natural runner and I didn't run much as a kid. Um, when I look at um, 
people who are most successful, they tend to have had some kind of running as a kid to, to be able to like run well off the bike. But I mean, I overcome that by poten- potentially my mental strength and doggedness. Um, I'm, I am, well, I may not be strong on the run, I don't slow down very yeah, much. Okay, yeah. And I don't mentally give up. Mm. Uh, you, you talked about you know getting a little bit slow just because age comes in and mm-hmm. you're not old. But what's what's that kind of internal journey around that? Um, I don't know. I, I I work with Purple Patch Fitness and my coach and I wrote a blog together last year called Faster at 45 mm. um, because I don't feel I've slowed down and I, I still think there are that's a good thing about triathlon. There are always things to be working on and improving and having. Being an adult onset swimmer, like I said, I've, I continue to see improvements. I continue to get faster in the pool, and I continue to get faster in races. So um, I haven't hit the slowdown yet. And, yeah, race times may not get any faster from here, but you manage that by going doing different races, like coming to Germany and doing a challenge road as a bucket list race versus, like, doing an Ironman back in the U.S. or one that I've already done. What are some of the greatest lessons your time in your sport have taught you that maybe you know you would have only got because you've been in the sport for so long? Um, patience. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting now. I've been mentoring a, a young woman in, in San Francisco who really wants to go to Kona and really... I mean, she's throwing heart, mind and soul like into like picking the right race. and But trying to teach her that it's patience and 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 not just throwing um physicality at something but learning to do things well Mm. i mean she's focused on putting out the most watts i'm like you know the most watts don't necessarily get you to the finish line faster Mm. figuring out how to ride the course well how to manage um uh, terrain and how to apply your strengths well over the course of 146 miles is what gets you to the finish line fastest mm. not by being the strongest the mm. fittest or the fastest yeah does that make sense yeah totally um how would you like to be thought of as a triathlete hmm. um hopefully as someone that's part of the community um and um passionate for the sport passionate for the people in the sport i mean uh as much as you get trophies and podiums i mean the greatest thing triathlon's given me is friendships and a community, plus my husband. <laughs> oh, you met, met through the sport, did you? We met through the sport, too. Okay. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Uh, um, that's quite cute. Um, but, but on that, just, you know, you kind of see that your group of friends have moved on that you started with. Is it hard to kind of adapt to the new friends that come through? or, or, or No, because for me, I mean, I... I I consider myself now a, a part of my responsibility is to be a guardian of the sport. It's something that's been in my life now for, what, t- 17 years? Yeah. And I don't see it going away. Um, so it is mentoring those 20-somethings that are coming into the sport and persuading them that triathlon's a better avenue than Spartan races. Yeah. And, and whether it's passing down uh, equipment or sharing um, training advice or just encouraging them. I think that's that's part of my role going forwards. Nice. What's what's the, what's the plan for the weekend or tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm coming into this. I'm fit and healthy now, but I've had a hamstring injury. Oh, uh, so Barry's uh, boot camp. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. It was, it was actually chasing my coach at a, a training camp in April. I, I tore my hamstring, um, uh. a grade two tear. And again, it's healed now, but um, so I'm planning not to run off okay. the bike. But 
the upside of that is that I'm usually an hour plus behind my husband and this gives me the opportunity to cheer him on and be there for him at the finish line nice um, since he's also racing um, and I'll also get to see the end of the pro race um, so I'm gonna swim bike uh, hopefully the fast and get to T2 the fastest I ever have Great. so, so that you can is really the just goal. lay it on the line okay yeah and then I, I you still have to pace a 112 yeah. mile bike um, and I still want to get off and run a couple of miles and use it as a training day. I've already qualified for Kona this year, so I'm applying a few, like testing a few different things out and seeing how it goes. So I'm, I'm not just gonna go hammer the bike, I'm pacing the bike, yeah. um, but I'll get off the bike, run to the finish line, and uh, I'm actually gonna jump in the commentary booth with Torsten Rada yeah. yep. and do some of the uh, challenge road uh, live online commentary and hopefully oh, comment and share my thoughts on how the race conditions were and, uh, and, and check in how the pros are doing. Good times. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Thank awesome. you. Okay, John. So that's uh, those interviews. John, let's talk about Winger of the Week. We had a bit of a... I don't, we haven't got a dojo domination um, ranking for, for our Strava uh, leaderboard, but this was a crushing. Seth um, betting from Canada, 35 hours and 5 minutes, 13 hours in front of a second place. Which is bloody impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. Um, when we look at, oh, I'm not logged in, Bevan. Uh, log in, oh, mate. Oh, come on, I've got to give people their surnames, otherwise I can only see the um, first names. So that is a that is a crushing victory by Seth on the on the the leaderboard there. On the running side as well. Um, last week we had. Um, Sam Francisco Hoskins take it out with 13 hours and 22 minutes and our first female was Sonia Pippen uh, that was his total time his running time that was his running time 13 hours and 22 minutes and Sonia Pippen was our first female with 6 hours and 54 nice, nice work. work okay John let's do questions and answers so we've got a few here we won't have to cut them because we are going to have to give it time but first of all Aaron Torelio has got dear coach John I have a question around Kelio caloric intake during an Ironman okay my question makes it as the, the assumption that you have to maintain an appropriate intensity that has allowed you to properly fuel during the bike lead I am certain that if you take a gel or coke during the first five minutes of the marathon these calories will be metabolized by your system providing a and boost in performance during the marathon. Conversely, if you take a gel or coke within the five minutes of the marathon, it will probably not give you any benefit. Sorry, in the last five, last five minutes of the marathon, it will probably not give you any benefit. From a time standpoint, where is the cutoff from which more nutrition consumed will be unlikely to have any benefit in your performance? I understand that there are going to be a bunch of variables, including intensities, temperature, hydration levels, but I'm looking for some general guidelines as it relates to the metabolization of energy to maintain performance when calling the fueling quits during the marathon. Good question. Yeah, because well, you do see people taking fuel on board very late in the race. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. So I haven't actually got the science here to back this up in terms of how quickly things are going to get metabolised in that final stages of the race. And there are a huge amount of variables. So I've just got a few just general tips in terms of your run nutrition when you're doing an iron distance race and a few, things, a few cautionary notes as well. Um, so first thing I'd say is, a lot of people take nutrition on in T2, um, <clears throat> and I generally say that's not your best idea unless you're out there for a very casual day at the office because what's going on is you are coming into T2, you're changing position, um, it's usually a bit rushed and quite a stressful sort of part of the race if you're racing it and so your heart rate's going to be up and you might get a little bit flustered and it's a really 
easy place to actually get a bit of a stomach upset. Yep. So I generally say don't take anything in while you're in T2 unless you're really you're doing like a 15-minute T2 and you're just nice and relaxed. In that case, no drama. Um, however, I would say in the final stages of the bike, do check your nutrition status. And when you're at, say, 10Ks to go on the bike, that's a really good time to try to crank a little bit more of your nutrition in. You'll have time to let it settle on your stomach before you actually dismount and start the run. And then... When you do start the run, I would be saying only taking uh, water in the first sort of five minutes, again, just letting your, your stomach settle a bit. Um, there's a huge amount of different nutrition strategies, but um, uh, Aaron, if you're sort of looking for, for a general guidance on the run, I say roughly every 30 to 40 minutes, probably taking in a gel or something comparable to that. And you know, the main part of your question was, is when to sort of shut it down. And once you're in the last 10 minutes of the race, there's really not a lot of point to be taking much in. Um, That's any, 10 minutes? Yeah, anything before that can still give you maybe a mini boost. I wouldn't be saying necessarily taking a, a gel in that last 15 minutes, but some Coke can sometimes just give you that little bit of alertness even when it just goes into your mouth so i'd say when you're in the last 20 liquid nutrition only it might give you that little boost but once you're in the last 10 minutes it would purely be water for aesthetic reasons or just to try to freshen yourself up or wake you up okay um colin or anything else no colin norris who we had on the show a little while ago he was a real up-and-coming um pro he just popped me an email saying finally got his first podium on the 70.3 circuit at luxembourg 70.3 so keep a look out for him um good old duncan penfold sent through i know you guys are interested in how fast ironman athletes can run in mar- marathon well brad carterfeld ran the gold coast marathon last weekend with a 227 you remember he retired recently and i'm not sure if he was focused on this event but you can see his splits and he got 33rd overall 27 is pretty solid yeah he was a very good runner i think he could do better than that in terms of if he was at his peak and he really specifically prepared for it but that's respectable good old sean buckenurka how do you say that one john birkner birkner yeah wait so you're gonna do that on that one birkner sounds like um what's that film um Ferris, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, firstly, thank you for your coverage on the rote interviews. It was great to listen to them. One thing that stood out for all the pros and age groupers was how much they love the event and the atmosphere. I'm planning an OSIM in. 2020 and was looking at Austria but after hearing your podcast I seriously need to make rote my first preference I'm aware it's notoriously hard to get an entry do you have any tips or ideas on how to get yourself in this race so they actually had the entries open yesterday I'm sure they will have sold out straight away it sells so, out of minutes doesn't it yeah so they, the, the way that rote do it is they, they uh, do their first offering uh, on Monday so that's a, a week after the race the way to actually get into the race not very convenient for people uh, Sean's in Australia is the day after the race, they actually have a thousand slots available. You basically get in a queue. And I think and what they do is up. they do, you, even if you've raced, you can give it to your mate. Yes, you can, it is transferable. You've got to be queuing up with your mate in the line. Can't say I really agree with that policy, but that's, that's the way they do it there. Um, so there's a thousand slots available the day after the race. So if you did go over there, if somebody you knew was racing, you can go over with them and you can get yourself in that way. I don't know if everybody gets in in the queue, but we had um, Emma, our support crew, and she lined up. Did she she, she got a slot. Oh, um, great. So she's in for next year. So that's option That's option two after the you know, first option is just to go in the, in the general registration on the do, Monday. Do, do a thousand go? 
Like, was there lot, lots of people? There's a big queue. Whether or not it's a thousand, I'm okay. not sure. Uh, so there's two options. Uh, third option, they do have another offering at around Christmas time. Um, and then the fourth option is to go with a tour group, and that way you you always go get in. They do have some qualifying races. Uh, very few. Okay. Very few. Okay. Yeah. So it's not easy to get in, um, but if you do want to definitely go, especially from Australia, then there's tour groups that, that go over there. Um, that guarantees you. That guarantees. We're not going, but a lot of people have been actually emailing me going, are you going back next year? Definitely not going back next year. Maybe the year after that or the year after that. I'd say 2021, reasonable chance. 2020, possibly, but definitely not going back so next year. So you could hang out for Sean, maybe if we go 2020. Mm. Um, John, let's do some patrons. So we've got two new patrons. Three. Three. Dan Egan, he's from Ireland. He's 40 years old and married to Michelle with four kids. Work as an operations director, currently doing a master's in business and runs his own coaching business, AccentSportCoaching.com. So as you can see, I have lots of free time. On top of this, I fit in <laughs> some uh, high man training <laughs> racing since uh, 2011 he's finished five Ironmans his first being 1158 in UK and his fastest 10.02 in Barcelona still chasing the nine doubling up this year in Rote in Copenhagen so I don't know if uh, you managed to do sub 10 there in Rote or not so Fran Egan got anything coming coming to mind Bevan he's Fran Egan yeah he's from Ireland um, the so enormous Egan the enormous, yeah, the enormous, the enormous. There we go, because they can be taken many ways, if you know what I mean. Okay. I'm sure Michelle likes that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the enormous Egan. There we go. Uh, we've got Chris Haig. Uh, my name is Chris Haig, and I'm a master's student working on my degree in sports psychology from Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Uh, my thesis is on how to improve coaches and coach education programs and in turn improve the experience and development outcomes of their athletes. Pretty interesting. Um, I receive my degree. After I receive my degree, I hope to apply what I learned to teach and expand my coaching business. Check out BraveheartCanada.com for more details and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, Chris Haig. What's yes. in, what happens in the Haig? Something happens in the Haig. Um, that's and that's where they do all the um, the sort of court base. The judge, uh, okay, the judge. The there judge. we go. The judge, Chris. Yeah, isn't, isn't it? I think it's the European Court. Yeah, Sorry, European like yep. people. If I'm wrong there, but down in Cranston, just got back from route. So my appropriate photo of me looking happy on the run went fifty six. 50546, so 56 swim, 546 bike, tough day on the bike, 349 run for a 1039, my second fastest time, and overall a good day out. I am in Phoenix Tri Club in Dublin, Ireland. I'm 39, it's a good age. Yeah. Um, I'm an ex competitive swimmer, so get to swim at the front, which is watch all the cyclists go by. I've done seven iron distance races, and this year, myself and my follow new patron and club member. Fran Egan, the enormous, the enormous, the enormous <laughs> Fran Egan, also did wrote a doubling up, and we're doing Copenhagen in seven weeks. Interesting to see how that goes. I've been extreme endurance for the last two months, and actually can't believe how the legs feel compared to the previous races in a good way. So big thumbs up to them, Darren Kranskin. What comes to mind for me is Kransky, Kransky sausages. But if we call him the little sausage, I don't no, think No, especially really when you call the other guy the enormous. I'm the little sausage. Kranskin, I think Brian Kranskin from, Kranskin from um, Breaking Bad. Okay. So yeah. we could say Breaking Bad. Well, let me just see what your darts nickname is, uh, and we will make a decision on this. Uh, I'm going IMDB here, Brian Kranskin. Kranskin, is it Kranskin? Uh, Okay, let's see what we've got. The dark. Big break. 
What else you got there, Bevan? Uh, I like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad, Cranston. Okay. Breaking Bad. Yeah, Darren, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yep. Here Very we go. Good. Okay, so if you want to become a patron of show like these legends here, who are they, John? We've got Chris the Judge Haig, Brian Breaking Bad Cranston, and... Friend the Enormous Friend Egan. Enormous Egan. There we go. So you get a cool nickname like that. And also you support us in what we're doing. You go into the draw to win a trip to Kona, and uh, it's all good in the hood. Jombo, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. And our patrons. And... Again, go to www.imtalk.me to become a patron. And uh, if you want to email us, imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. My goss, good to be back home, settling into life. Lovely, you know, a lot of feedback on our weather reports um, when we're over and wrote, and people love them. It's actually a beautiful, clear day out there today. Oh, they want the weather reports. They do. It's five degrees when I was driving around here, five degrees centigrade. Um, Just one of those awesome winter's days. Looking out there, feel like I want to do some exercise. Um, so that's the, the are you highlight. Are you going into the Football World Cup? Yep, we're into the Football World Cup. It's coming home. It's coming home. Come on, you palms, bring it home. It's coming home. It's coming. I love the song. Coming home. Football's coming home. I have to admit, when it comes to England and sport, normally don't really care for them to win. Yeah, I want them to take it home. And often. Often against England in, in rugby, uh, but oh rugby! Could hate for England to beat us. Football, it's coming home. It's coming. You've got to say the Poms. Uh, the game the other day was a little bit boring against Sweden because they were so defensive. But the good thing was the they, weren't, they weren't all diving all over the place. I was I just about wanted to punch the TV out when they were playing Tunisia. Uh, uh, so come on, you Poms, bring it home. What about Neymar? Pathetic. One of the best players in the world, and Pathetic. now you're a joke. Yeah. You know, you, you ruin your reputation. Pathetic. I have to say, because I, I, I'm not sleeping, so that's one benefit is I've got to watch both games. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, John, I do have a dilemma. Yes. Because I do want the Poms to win. I mm. reckon being in England right now must be so cool. Oh, yeah. You know, imagine this, was it Thursday morning? They got the, the Thursday next game. morning. So imagine being in England if they win that. Heat wave. Oh, heat wave. Drinking beers. Oh. Just be going nuts. No, so, nobody will be at Wimbledon. Well, that's apparently the dilemma. They're, they're worried that they won't get many people at the final. Yeah. But also, John, I'm in the sweepstakes at work, mm-hmm. and I've got France. France are a good bet. That's a good bet. So if they get if they win the next game, I'm guaranteed some money. Yeah. But at 200 for the win. Oh, really? So if it's an England-France win, who do I go for? Got to go for the 200, I'm afraid. Oh, you go for the money? Yeah. I'll get eight, I think I'll get 80 if they get second. Right. So I still, still make some money. But the bigger question is, John... If they if they get to the final, I'm going to watch it with the poms. Are you? I'm coming. I'm going. I'm a pom for a day. Coming home. Yep, I'm coming. Wait, you're gonna put some big on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm he's, he's, he's gonna. You're still in the time zone, so just catch a cheap flight to London. It's coming. Home. Football's coming home. And you're there. This song is genius because they wrote this in 1996. Yeah. Every time England does well at soccer, they get picked to number home. one. Genius. Good mate of mine supposed to come out for dinner with me on Friday night. Yep. Decided to go to Russia instead. Go to both, go to both semi-finals. Is he really? Yeah. Name and shame. Who is it? Caleb Ballon. That's genius. Yeah. How much is that costing genius? him? <laughs> 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 Did he get tickets? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he didn't get tickets. He's got a brother. He's yeah. He knows someone in the know. He knows someone who knows. In someone. Russia, you need to yep. know someone in the know, don't you? Yeah. Oh, I got some tickets. How do you do Russian? Do a Russian accent. I no, can't. Joe, go. what's a Russian accent? The yeah, well, say, 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 give me the tickets, babe. Go, 
Do Russian, give me the tickets. Give me the tickets. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Right, we're going off and do our Legends of Triathlon podcast okay. uh, interviews. So, Let's wrap it up. Iron Russ. It's coming. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Train hard. Train smart. It's coming home. It's coming home. Kia kaha. <laughs>